And hello again, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of Frazier and Dieter's Business Speed. I'm John Ray, alongside Alpharetta Office Managing Partner, Roger Lesby. Roger? John, good morning. Merry Christmas to you, and congratulations on the new book you got published. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. I'm very much, but I want to congratulate you because this uh, you're retiring here at the end of the year. Yeah, this is actually going to be my final Frazier and Dieter radio show as yeah. I'll be retiring at the end of this year. So I thought we'd make it a very special one. It is a special one, and you've got some terrific guests here. Uh, I do. I, I probably have the three most important business people in my life. Mm. I've got Jim Frazier, mm -hmm. I've got David Dieter, and I've got Bob Woosley. Yeah. Um, Jim and David obviously founded Frazier and Dieter, mm -hmm. our firm, and what, we're 42 years now in the making. So uh, a few more years to go, I think. So that'll be exciting to hear what they have to say. 42 years and a lot of momentum for more. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. That's fantastic. I want to start with you, Roger, and then I want to bring your colleagues in here. Just to, to, to give talk about your perspective over this the time you had at Frazier and Dieter, and what I guess what there are a lot of things to take away. And you're not going away; you're going to be busy, I know. But talk about what some of the big things you take away as learnings from Frazier and Dieter over the years. In my case, John, it was uh, it was ironic because on day one when I came out of school, I actually met Jim Frazier and David Dieter. We were all together at what was then KPMG Maine Herdman. Mm -hmm. And in 1981, Jim and David left that firm and they started up Frazier and Dieter. And they said, Roger, as soon as we can afford you, we want you to come on and join us. Mm -hmm. and, and so that was there. That was always there. And it was a great opportunity for me, and I'm always so thankful for that. The four of us have worked very hard. We were in a great city. Atlanta was a great city, but we took care of clients, and, and the rest was history, as they say. And it's unusual today to have a retirement where someone has been in a firm for 40 years. That's just not the culture of things anymore, right, for people to have the loyalty to each other that the four of you have had. Jim, David, Bob, I want to bring you in into this and talk, just talk about how you developed that camaraderie and that focus between the four of you as you as the firm grew that you have. I think as we discussed before you activated the microphones, you've got four different personalities here at the table. But I think the philosophy of the firm has always been to hire younger and hire brighter. And I'm proudest to say that I'm the oldest one at the table, and I'm surrounded with three younger, brighter people. And I think if you work hard and you hire that way, that you're going to grow. And if you don't grow, it's because you haven't followed that philosophy. And I think I met David the first day you joined public yeah, accounting. I think so. Yeah. Was that to 1977, uh, I've been Late 78, yeah. 78. And when we resigned from the national firm, the head of the audit department said, Jim, I understand why you're leaving. Mm -hmm. He said, but why are you taking David? He's the best we've got. <laughs> and I just looked at him, and the guy was known for having a three-martini lunch, and I just assumed he'd had three martinis. He answered the question. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and David and I never looked back. And David, you love to tell the story of my kitchen table, I think, in the meetings we had. Yeah, I'd almost forgotten that story that I'd never really got nervous about 
this firm, I, I was all had so much trust in Jim and his business acumen and and how he prepared. And Jim was that a business, a great business person, and was a great tax person. And but I do remember the night before we quit our job, I, I had this little yellow piece of paper. I said, Jim, let's just really write down the clients we really think we have. And I wrote down it was like eight thousand dollars a year in business. And so our rents eleven hundred a month. And we had an assistant that was like twelve hundred a month, or and we'd borrowed money, and that was another twelve or fifteen hundred a month. And he said, "Ah, oh, don't worry about it." I said, "Okay." <laughs> and so I think we actually we did ten thousand dollars a first month that we we're in business. So it was been a great run. We started in downtown Atlanta, which really was a great, smart thing to do. I, mm-hmm. I think. With Jim and Bob joined a firm just a minute later, and Roger right after that, and so we we did we we did some lucky slash smart things early. We hired great people. We were in a great city. Later on, we went to other great cities, mm-hmm. and so we faked it till we made it. But we were in downtown firm, and a lot of firms don't do that. They go out to deep suburbs, or so we. We're a downtown firm, and we got some great clients early. And you were, what, 25 years old when all this started, yeah, David? 25, yeah. yeah. I think I'd like to add a note when it was one of those normal days, and at the beginning of the firm, we shared office space with some fellows who did retirement and financial planning, and the head of that firm walked down to my office. He says, Jim, I got a young guy in my office who's, I think he's interviewing with us. He says, but he's an accountant, and we don't know what to do with him. Would mm. you like to talk to him? And it turned out to be Bob Woosley. And and it wasn't at the top of our radar screen, I don't think, at that time to hire anybody, yeah. David. But we took Bob to lunch, to dinner yeah. at uh, Dante's in Buckhead, and he ordered the most expensive thing on the menu. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and, and then didn't eat it. And, and I think... Sometime thereafter, I said to David, if he's got the guts to do that, he can go out and ask for business yeah. that, that we can't even provide, and we'll figure out how to do it. And I yeah. think that, Bob, yeah. that's what you did. Well, that was a funny story, because I, I was not looking for these guys at all, and they all knew each other. I, I grew up in Price Waterhouse, started mm-hmm. my career in 79, mm-hmm. and I was just investigating the financial planning industry. I was, just wanted to learn more, and mm-hmm. so I was reaching out and just having you know cups of coffee, and, mm-hmm. and the, the gentleman that Jim mentioned Goes, oh, yeah, that's good, Bob. But these are there are two guys back here that are renting space for me. Let, let's go talk. So he marches me down there, meet these two random guys they praise. One thing led to another, and I'm so grateful because I wasn't looking, but just the idea of growing something and inside of me, I guess it was an entrepreneurial spirit, mm-hmm. and it just couldn't have worked out better. But I, the, the funny story I will tell, everybody knew me back then, but I worked at Price Waterhouse. So I'd go out with my friends, like, Bob, are you still working at Pricewaterhouse? I go, yeah, no, I'm with these two guys that you've never heard of. <laughs> and I, I go, this isn't going to work. It's to David's point. The next time I went out and I had that question, I go, oh, yeah, I work with Fraser Dieter, that downtown CPA firm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, we know them. Oh. They didn't know us. <laughs> <laughs> but, but that got I it rolling, it. and we started getting clients, and it's been fun ever since. But, Jim, David, y'all were after Roger early on. Yeah. And he was a little harder to pull in, as I understand it, yeah, right? He, he, he was. He wanted a guaranteed salary. <laughs> <laughs> we couldn't offer somebody something we didn't have ourselves. <laughs> right. But he eventually came on. He did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so what was Roger like back in those days? He's 
Roger and Bob are total opposites. Yeah. Roger has a folder in his desk, a hanging file folder for every piece of paper that he ever had. And Bob has the paper on his desk. <laughs> and at the time, we didn't really have enough office space. So they worked in, they shared a desk and a telephone in the file room slash kitchen. And, oh, boy. Uh, it, it doesn't get any bigger than that. <laughs> yeah. I still have PTSD on this. I mean, I, I wake up screaming about that. But, of that uh, memory. Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah. but Roger, Roger's got to be one of the ta- best tax people I ever met. Mm. You know, he, he, he lives and breathes the code. And frankly, I just couldn't get into that much detail. So mm-hmm. having Roger to back me up, and I think David feels the same way when a tax issue came up, was important the same way Bob had been in auditing. Mm-hmm. And we were doing work we hadn't done before. And so it was important that we pulled all the experts in that we could. Yeah. And as Bob used to say, if you couldn't make it, you fake it, or is it the other way around? I think Bob? David just said that. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll endorse that comment, though. Yeah. So last week, I, I was fortunate enough to be at Roger's retirement party, and we were celebrating him and David and his retirement. But you told a great story, I think it was you, Jim, about – Roger's attention to detail and when you got back something that had been Mm -hmm. vetted by Roger and he had made remarks over it, how valuable that was. Yeah. A little bit of background. In grad school, I worked for a consulting firm and everything you wrote got reviewed by somebody. Mm -hmm. So when Roger came on board, when I would write a client a letter, I would give it to Roger to review. And the Mm -hmm. first time I did it, it came back with red marks on it. I thought, what the dickens? My name's on the radio, on the letterhead. And he marked up my letter in red. But I looked at it. It was a much better letter. Mm. So I thought, I can live with this. Mm-hmm. And, and it was easier for me to, to deal with than our younger staff because mm. they'd get things back from me marked up in red. And I'd say, mm-hmm. hey, if he can do it to me, he can do it to you. Yeah. And, and Roger, I thank you. You made a lot of my letters and a lot of the analysis work I did a whole lot better. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's awesome. What a great story. It's teamwork. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of teamwork, you've talked about your di- different personalities and how you brought those different personalities together to to build the firm that you've built. Talk about that and talk about how you, you were able to do that. And I'm sure there were some moments where you that, that there was some friction along the way that that Friction is a good thing, right? Because it creates some value if you allow it to, right? I think that's right. You really, it's part of iron sharpening iron that mm-hmm. our differences really, as it turns out, were strength. I think Bob was mentioning earlier, we hired a business psychologist early and he said, oh my gosh, you guys are so different. But really, it turns out it's amazing that we had so easy to hire people just like yourself, and we we didn't do that. We had different personality profiles, and that was fantastic. But I think the similarities were of ethics, and we're all I think entrepreneurial, and we all were in the marketplace. And I think early one good thing about uh, starting a firm is you really realize we need to be in the marketplace, and we need to make those clients happy enough that they can find their checkbook and mm. pay us. So we can draw a paycheck. So that became pretty clear early on. Yeah. And I, I'll just add this. that in, I'll compliment Jim because Jim's background is an engineer. Mm-hmm. And he, he had us, and I'm, I'm probably his worst problem being the least organized, but, man, we had a process. 
Mm-hmm. And we met regularly and Jim in a good way, but he held us accountable. And we had our time in every day. We had our bills went out. He taught us like, okay, the first bill that goes out that your client's going to get it, it's going to be our bill. Mm. If we can't handle our own business, how can we advise them on their business? So that rigor, I think, mm, I think the guys would word. agree with mm-hmm. us, really propelled us. We weren't messing around. And I thank Jim on that. He just, he basically had it organized. It, it was, it, sometimes it was annoying. We mm-hmm. had, but it was, man, it really worked. And it's carried through to the firm today. Yeah, well, we, yeah, we yeah. were in our 20s and yeah. he taught us how to run a company. Mm-hmm. He set us up with processes, procedures, yeah. how to be efficient, how to service a client. And those were great things. But he wasn't an accountant, and nor was Bob. David and I were probably more I was accountants. an accountant, Roger. <laughs> One thing that Jim would always say, too, and Dave would always say, too, is do not worry about the money. Serve your clients, and the money will come. Take care of your clients. And that was, I think, a fundamental thing that Jim taught us. Don't worry about it. Do good work and invest in the relationships, which is basically our brand promise. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you guys agree with that? I would, yeah. yeah. I would say even those things you're talking about, those, I like that word rigor, mm-hmm. that still, even we have a huge firm now of hundreds, 500, wherever, how many people we have, that's still in the bones of the firm now of running a good shop. So maybe it's drifting a bit, but it's in the bones of the firm of it. Let's run a good operation. And I think one of the challenges is with the, Millennials, older and younger, they're used to voicemail. They're used to emails. They're not used to sitting across the table and looking at someone and talking to them. Mm -hmm. And when they understand the importance of service, when they, they get the joy that comes from meeting with a client and having the client leave happy, they light up and Mm -hmm. they get it. Mm -hmm. And I take great satisfaction in, in watching a lot of the younger ones grow into that. And that's, challenge of the people we're leaving behind is they've got to raise the next generation because we do hire younger and brighter. Right. They just don't have that skill set yet. Yeah. Wow. Lots that you laid out there. I want to come back before we leave it entirely because you do, you're not just an accounting firm. You're an advisory firm. Your clients have counted on you for advisory even before you called yourself that, right? They were counting on you for that. And I think what you talked about in terms of laying down process early is a mistake a lot of businesses make right when they start out and they don't have that foundation to build on and that is paying dividends now for you here four or five decades later right yes and i think bob you alluded to it if if we can't run our own business how can we advise other people to run theirs Mm -hmm. and without the right processes we become bogged down in our own paperwork right. at the expense of providing services we can bill for. Mm-hmm. And it's just how I thought as an engineer, the foundation is the most important part of the building. Weak foundation building falls over. Yeah, And, and, and then we had David's strengths and, and mm-hmm. David's strengths were, were clearly, he was a visionary. Mm-hmm. David thought big. If When people ask me what my biggest weakness is, I always tell them that I didn't think big enough. So David taught me how to do that. Mm-hmm. And David also taught me that people are important. And I think he's got a great reputation within the firm of caring for people. And so that's been really good. But we built on, on 
on the processes and procedures that, that Jim had set for us. And then Jim, or then David, took us off into this bigger path. And we did. We became bigger. We came, we became better. And we were certainly within what a top 100 firm, I guess, when David was was the managing partner. And that was a pretty big milestone for us. Yeah, I think I saw that we, I found some old paperwork. I think we became top 100 firm 2008. And so you're starting to get in a rarefied air. There are 50,000 firms, and I think now we're 40th or so. And mm. so, yeah, and I think that goes back to really, we mentioned starting a firm in downtown Atlanta. And, and then a lot of businesses hit that 40, 50-person firm. And it's just so easy at that point, like you're making a living and we're good. And so at that point, though, we said maybe we could become a national or worldwide firm. Like, why not? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think both David and Jim, Jim back in the early days, he would do things. If you think back on it, we started doing public accounting. There were no computers, right? We were doing it by hand. The old green sheets. Yeah. And Jim, I'll never forget this because he said, okay, we're going to buy a computer. Yeah. Remember the Vax mates, the Vaxes, like they're, they're out of business now, but he would get David and Roger and I to invest in things that like, are you kidding? And he would do these, he would do analysis, but okay. I'm seeing the trajectory of our firm. We need to hire four people right now. And we would look at you like, what? <laughs> and so he was always hiring ahead of the curve mm. and, you know, counting on the growth and being highly optimistic, but having a process to do it. And I think that's what propelled us. We are a growing firm. It's in our DNA. We're always out there looking for ways to grow and expand. And David mm -hmm. took that to even another level when he took over. And, and it's so yeah. easy. Like I said, it's so easy not to do that because especially accountants, you go, Oh, I signed that new lease. They're expecting to get the rent payments, hire right. people. They're expecting to get paychecks on the 15th and 30th. You know what? And I think most accountants or most business people, they think well, if I hire this person for a hundred thousand dollars, I'm going to, we're going to make a hundred thousand less mm -hmm. as opposed to we're going to, we're going to make, have more clients and more service to clients we have, and we're going to we're going to really grow this thing. Or that times a lot of headcount. So it's a vision, and it's a way to really serve existing clients even better. Is what really happens because you have more touch points with your clients, more offerings for your clients, and so really what happens over time is that the more ways you can touch that client, they actually become more sticky. Mm. So at what point did the, the, and this is for any, any of the four of you, at what point did it become clear to you how big you were going to get? Did, was being a top 40 firm in your sights early on, or did you have to get to a certain point where you realized that, hey, we've got the momentum that's going to take us there? I think it's stepping stone. I, no, we first started the, I, I, I Maybe have idea of having 20, 30, 40 person firms seemed fantastic. I think actually in 2001, we did really our first strategic plan, hired a consultant, paid them some good money. And to the extent you can, we got all the partners on the same page and we agreed to go for it. And we, part of that embedded, and of course, Jim alluded to this, but we decided we would hire more people from the outside and subject matter experts. And, and of course, some of Folks on the table are subject matter experts, but it, you, the, when you start a firm, you're, it pushes you to become a generalist mm. because you have a lot of clients, a lot of different matters, whether it's accounting, auditing, financial statements, people going through 
litigation or whatever the issue is, you're a great consultant, but you're forced in some ways to become a generalist. So whether it's international tax, public company work, sales and use tax issues. So you almost, so we decided let's hire folks that really are deep in niche areas. So that really helped propel the growth. We hired Seth McDaniel. He was at the public company accounting oversight board. We hired Wayne Reed, who was a really choice person at Anderson. And, and then they started bringing some of their friends and that really helped propel us. Mm-hmm. Really, if you take a step back and you think about the early 2000s, mm-hmm. we all forget, remember when Arthur Anderson imploded and then with WorldCom and Enron. And so it was huge disruption in the accounting profession yeah. because Fraser Dieter had a culture of being opportunistic and entrepreneurial. It was really David and with his partners that said, this is a chance, man. The big four. Or the big eight the became big the big eight. four over right. a few years. They yeah. are getting out of, they are literally getting rid of great clients. But more than that, we David was able to convince people like the gentleman he just mentioned, Seth and Wayne Reed, that we had a platform that would be attractive to them mm-hmm. so that they just wouldn't go to another big four firm. Like, come here. This is a culture you could really grow and, and make a difference. And that brought those people in. And then it really exploded. It was mm-hmm. like the biggest transition of accounting work or county clients in the history of the accounting profession. And because David and his team were bold enough to take advantage of that, really, that was gas on the fire. Mm-hmm. I think, agree with that? Yeah, Bob, yeah. I think to add to that, I think some of the rigor, like the word you mentioned before, is in some of the processes, we were profitable enough mm-hmm. that we had some margin for era. Mm-hmm. So at that point, the, as the big eight became the big four, and they started looking at firms like ours, we were a choice firm. Said maybe we could join a firm like that that was in downtown Atlanta. And again, the big eight came the big four over a minute, and they left middle market. Mm. And so we put our, that was about 2001, we put our foot on the accelerator at about the right time. So from 01 to 09, before we really started doing mergers, I think we did our first merger in 08, 09 time frame. We grew over 20% every year with no mergers. Mm. Wow. So that was organic. And so by the time we got toward the end of that, we were, I don't know, 200, 250 headcount. And we really were ready to go to multi-office. We came here to Alpharetta. And this area was our first, second office. And we worked some kinks out to get ready to really become a huge firm. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, thank you for that segue. Cause that's where I was headed next was the expansion here. We're sitting here in downtown Alpharetta and the expansion Alpharetta that Roger led talk about how that happened. And uh, because Alpharetta was not cool back then as it is today, <laughs> certainly it had a lot of promise, but it certainly is what that was stepping out and you planted a flag that no other big accounting firm had planted. Yeah, but the cool thing about Alpharetta is, unlike a lot of other suburbs, it is a live, work, play. You can, mm-hmm. you, got, you got a lot of companies headquartered here, mm-hmm. and you can live here. You get, So even then, unlike other suburbs, there are companies here. I thought it was, We thought it was an interesting location. It was the choice of the suburbs. Yeah. Roger. But I think we were the 98th largest firm in the United States. And on that list, there were three firms, including us, that only had one office. Mm-hmm. And the other two were in New York City. And so that kind of gave gave us the premise to, to open our first, second office. And 
Now today we have, what, eight or nine offices, uh, a couple of them across the pond, so that's interesting. Yeah. But a lot of our growth is coming from these other offices now. Mm-hmm. And, and to get back to your question, our premise was always to try to grow. And so 42 years later, we've never had a year in which our revenues declined. And I think as long as a firm is growing, and if we're truly hiring the best and brightest, they're going to recognize that there's a lot of opportunities to stay with this firm. And, and I think that's led to some of our success. Yeah, I think that great. to your listeners who are thinking about starting a business, mm-hmm. if you set a goal to make money, you will fail. And as everyone's alluded to, if you hire bright people and get good clients, you will grow because bright people want to grow. And so it's inevitable that will happen, and then it becomes a challenge to manage that growth, Mm -hmm. which I think we've proven we can do that, and the future is the issue. But you've got to understand what is a proper goal. Hire good people, do good work, and grow as opposed to make money, and, and invest in yourself. And we can look in the public arena. How many years did Amazon lose billions of dollars, Mm. but they didn't lose sight of the target? And I believe that Tim Cook of Apple was voted one of the most respected CEOs in the tech industry. And it's because he never loses sight of his goal, of the company's goal, its role, what it's supposed to do. And so we could talk about some things we tried that didn't work. <laughs> and there were quite a few. Yeah. yeah. So we weren't afraid to try things. Sure. But we didn't give away the whole business to try that. Yeah. We never lost sight of our ultimate goal. Good clients, good service. Yeah, we're really lucky to be in a profession mm-hmm. that, that has a, a seat at the table to watch what's happening with businesses. Other professionals and they're all great lawyers may come in for a transaction or update the corporate records or whatever we're sitting there watching the movement of a company and watching their strategy unfold and you know, I always there were times i got brought in to talk to the young hires you know i said do great work be technically competent but take a step back what you have is to see the table you, this is the an mba on steroids mm-hmm. to be able to actually see what's going on and be inquisitive so I think the reason that David and Jim and, and Roger and I initially were successful is that we worked very hard not to be a commodity. We got behind what mm-hmm. was really happening, and we really, they turned to us for all kinds of things. We were a connector of people. We would try to help our clients grow, and I think that came through, and I think CPAs around the country could take a lesson from that because you get so focused on doing your work and getting that technical thing right. You, You have to open the aperture to understand what's really happening. And that's where the fun is in public accounting, in my opinion. And I think Fraser Dieter's Mm -hmm. done that. We're at a time right now, talking about growing the firm and adding quality people. We're at a time right now where there aren't a lot of young people coming into the profession generally, yet you seem to be able to attract young, talented people to Fraser and Dieter. What's the secret? of being able to do that at this time in the industry? Well, I think there's a lot of things we've talked about. I, and one of those two we mentioned about expansion is being in great cities. We Obviously, we've been in Atlanta since day one. We're in Nashville, Tampa, Las Vegas, obviously here in Alpharetta, Charlotte, 
London, mm. Cambridge, and now we have offices in India. So be in cities where people are interested in living in. Mm -hmm. So I think that adds a little plus to it. And being in a vibrant, vibrant firm that's in its operation shoe leather, being on those campuses. So that's in the mix. I think it's all the above. But if you have a boring firm that just doesn't have a little sizzle to it, then it's, it's could be a little challenging. Mm. I think you can tell from the personalities at the table that as over the years, as we've hired more people, diverse personalities like us, as we've talked to the younger recruits, they sense our excitement. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important. They, I laugh at the young folks in the office. I tell them I'm old enough to be their grandfather. And they say, are you that old? <laughs> and I tell them, I said, my mother died at 91, but had the outlook of an 18-year-old. Age is just a number. <clears throat> and I think they see our excitement. They see the growth. They want to be part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and you the four of you together, I, I think. And again, I saw this last week when I was at this gathering. It seems like all of you just seem to enjoy being with each other, and that's what I think a lot of young people are looking for. Right, they're looking for the kind of work environment that they enjoy being a part of and being part of a team and. Y'all seem to exemplify that in a really special way. That's what I observed. I, I think the young people, actually, my observations, they're in Midtown Atlanta. That's almost gotten better over the years. Mm -hmm. I see them hanging out together and mm -hmm. going out at night. And I, I think now this whole COVID thing, that's added as a little X factor and as people coming back to the office. But in general, I think it's gotten better. Mm -hmm. One of the things I found most satisfying was when I reached the point we had grown to a size where everyone we hired could find a friend in the firm. Mm. We were diverse enough that they could find that. Mm -hmm. And when you think about it, you spend more of your waking hours at the job than anywhere. Yeah. So you got to like the people you work with. You got to like what you do. Mm -hmm. Jim, do you still have them uh, sharing offices in the file room? <laughs> uh, uh, Bob, yeah. Bob, this is yeah. going to come as a shock to you, but we don't have a file room anymore. No, we don't. <laughs> Oh, I, was, I kept looking for it the other day. That's right. Nor a phone, right? right. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and when you, in all candor, I like myself as an individual, mm -hmm. but I don't want to sit at the table with three other Jim Frazier's. I like these guys. Yeah. They, over the years, they've intrigued me in the, the way they thought. They've encouraged me. They've given me viewpoints and ideas that I wouldn't have gotten on my own. Thank you. You have to pile on what you guys and, and what Bob was saying really the fun is working with client. These obviously, so you think about your two marketplaces in internal and then external mm -hmm. working with clients. And I, I think I mentioned this the other day, but when I was in college, I never met a CPA, but I heard they're a trusted advisor and you can make a good living. And both of those are true. So you fast forward all these years and, and people, you are a trusted advisor. If you lift your head up, and people call us with the craziest questions, and it's fantastic. What doctor should you go to? Mm. What? Uh, just you let your imagination run, and so you become their friends if you want to. You really, the Bob was saying, the numbers tell a story. Mm -hmm. Sales up, sales down. Yep. How they're doing financially? They're are they in trouble? They've missed a financial covenant. So anyway, you become a trusted advisor. They need a new banker. What whatever the situation is, they're you know they have a lot of personal issues. That comes up a lot. So what which 
direction they need to go to on that front. So you really get a visibility into their life. Speaking of that, I have to tell something about Rogers. See, I use Rogers as an example because he mentioned my book. I talk about how as a services provider, people hire you not just because of the thing you do, but how you do it. Mm -hmm. And there are intangibles that come with that. And I just remember... I won't, I won't mention his name unless you want to, Roger, but there was, but it's out there for people to find if they want to find it. But you had a gentleman on the show and he was going on during the show about how well the firm had done. And finally, toward the end of the show, I said, talk about how Frazier and Dieter's helped you in all that and how Rogers helped you along. And the first thing he said was, I'm an excitable guy. And when I need calm, be calm down, Roger, just so it's so calm and helps me. With that's, that's the first good. thing he mentioned, as opposed to all the other technical things he could have said, which I always, yeah, I use that as an example, Roger, for others to just mention how important those intangibles are with clients. Yeah, you never know what a client's going to say. You never know what a client's going to appreciate. Mm-hmm. But good. but those are important points. Yeah. But yeah, I remember when David and I took on the task to try to figure out what our secret sauce was as a firm, because we wanted to figure out why. Frazier and Dieter always seemed to do so well. We're, we were in CPA America, which links us up with 50 other firms and so forth. And I guess we concluded that we, we worked hard and, and, and we were smart, but there's a lot of guys that work hard and that are smart. We were in a great city, Atlanta, but there were other great cities in the country. And we determined that our secret soft sauce was the fact that in a high turnover profession like public accounting, mm-hmm. 40 years in, And we still had 10 of our first 20 people Mm. still working at the firm. And so not only does that mean that we got really good people really early, but they stayed and they stayed in a profession that has such high dramatic turnover. And that's so important for the culture of the firm. And especially as we go out with other offices. So that culture becomes very important. How can you replicate that? And so that's something that we've worked on and I think done fairly well over the last 10 years. Roger, to add to that, I think if we look at your portfolio of clients you manage and we look at the portfolio that David manages and you look at the portfolio I've left behind, the turnover of our clients is much, much lower than the typical firm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because we become part of their families. Mm -hmm. And, And we all had our own way of approaching competitive bids but I know when I'd go out on a competitive bid for a potential client, I'd just look at them and say, there are a lot of good accountants in the city of Atlanta, and there are a lot of accounts who will charge you less than we will. But you won't find an accounting firm anywhere that will care more about your business and be there when you need them than we will. Hmm. And they, they couldn't deny the value of that intangible. Yeah. And, and they, they bought in, and they're still here. And, and David, you are the, you're the trustee of a huge trust that that family couldn't do without you yeah that the originator of that trust was texting me last night about won't say he was texting me about it, it was something very modest that i'd given him and it seemed to be meaningful to them and so yeah those are very that i got him as a client when i was about 27 years old wow and, and he was very modest and it's so what would that be, 40 years ago, David? Yeah, 40 years, yeah. Okay. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, and his account was very modest. You know, but it was a good and, account. And, yeah, but. and in today's world, you have to ask yourself, how many of us have had the same physician for 40 years? Mm-hmm. 
or the same minister for 40 years, mm. but to have the same accountant slash financial advisor for 40 years mm. is wow. remarkable. That is remarkable. Wow. What great work. But so many of our biggest clients today, David, they all started off as a small client oh, yeah. that we took care of and that, that seed or that tree just grew. And so that was a huge benefit that we get to see. Time, we get to see them from here to here. At the time, though, you're so hungry, it felt like a, a good account, though, but you were wanted to take care of. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Such great stories, and we could we could go on for quite a while, but I just want to give everyone a last word as, what, as you reflect back and think about where you've been and then what just maybe what's for the future, both for the firm and how the firm will continue to serve. Jim, you want to start? As I spend time on a part-time basis around the firm, I see the culture surviving. It, it changes. The generations changed. And David mentioned the impact of remote working on the office. And we're in a profession where you've got to work together sometimes. Some mm-hmm. of the work you can do from home on the computer, but you've got to learn your consulting skills, your communication skills mm-hmm. one-on-one. And we hire the best and brightest out of school, but they don't have those skills, those consulting skills. And so I hope that the next generation of leaders sees the value in teaching that, because if they do, the sky's the limit. We won't be in the top 40 in 10 years. We'll be in the top 20. Yeah. David, you want to add to that? One thing, when you guys mentioned this, I was thinking as far as the future goes, I, I think maybe Bob mentioned about being consultive Actually, it's going to be that much more important because I think AI and is going to take even more of the manual work out. It's going to limit that more and more over the years. And mm-hmm. I think the firm will be hiring more MBA, more people who can think, because I think more and more of the work will be done automatically. So I think that's going to be interesting to watch that. So we need people who can think like business people. But I think the firm will keep growing. I, I would guess it would keep doing acquisitions. I would think it would keep going to other great cities, maybe in Texas. And so I think it's a great future. As far as me, I'm obviously toward the end of my career. And so we'll see what the next few years have in, have in store. Yeah. Bob? It's a, an interesting question because we spent a lot of time this morning talking about how we got to where we are. And, mm-hmm. and I think there's some fundamental things about being inquisitive and, and being mm-hmm. consultative. I think the profession in, in total is in the midst of a lot of change and a lot of challenges and, and challenges create opportunity. So uh, to me, Fraser Dieter has the chance to be you know, really innovative, carry that culture, uh, create uh, services that, that the clients really need that other CPAs may not be thinking about right now. I think we have a lineage of that, but to Jim's point, it's going to come down to, personal relationships and to be able to communicate and resonate with the client. I don't care if they're a public company or a startup. Mm. If we can carry that on and not be so wed to our compliance business, we're lucky that companies Mm -hmm. have to file their tax return and they have to get an audit. That's table stakes, as David, you would always say. To me, it's your ability to actually understand what's really going on, what's the company really trying to get done, and to be able to map into that and help them the sky's the limit. Mm. And I, I think Fraser Dieter has a chance to do that. 
and I think it's an exciting time. I'm not leaving yet, so I'm going to be have still more gas in the tank as we wave goodbye to these three gentlemen. Mm-hmm. But I think we've got a real chance to do something spe- even more special than what what's been happening so far, which has been great. Roger? As usual, all my partners have got great comments, mm-hmm. and I, I agree with all of them. I would just say to the young people, this is a great profession. We have such great opportunities in our profession. David's right with AI. They're going to have to be more consultative. And so I would tell them to just learn. We're in a lifetime of learning within this profession, but but to be entrepreneurial. And I think that was a huge aspect or trait that the four of us had. And and I think that's the exciting part of, of really what we do. But, but in, in the end, companies are all going to need advisors to help them with making decisions. And, and that's what we're there for. And, and that's what we do, and we do well. And so I would tell the young people to, to just take that into heart and to consider that. And again, this is a great profession to be in. It has been for all four of us, and I think we're all proud of what we accomplished. So thank you, guys. This has been marvelous. And Jim Frazier, David Dieter, Bob Woosley, and of course, my day-to-day, month-to-month pal here, Roger Lesby, congratulations on your success and what a legacy that you've built and a foundation off which, obviously, much further growth is going to occur. And I know, David, you're retiring here at the, at the end of the month. And Jim, talk about your status for people that don't know. I've been on a glide path. <laughs> <laughs> I started slowing down at 60, and now okay. I sort of work when I want to. I've okay. gone from nearly 500 clients to 10. Uh-huh. 10, one of the clients I've had since March of 1973 when I went to public accounting. Wow. So I've kept 10 clients to keep my fingers in, and I've told Seth, our managing partner, that I think 24 is my last year for just hanging around. Gotcha. And he said I could still have my office if I wanted it, but somebody else said, Jim, they're bidding for your office. <laughs> <laughs> they're already ta- yeah. taking, taking yeah, the already bids. Taking okay. And Bob's going to be hanging around for a while as well. Are you the one bidding for my office, Bob? No, I, I, I'm, I'm looking for that file room again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I'm uh, super involved in a lot of interesting mm-hmm. things at the firm, our private equity practice, our supply chain initiatives. So, I'm still excited and more gas in the tank, but yeah, I'll probably take David's office. There there you go. There you go. And David, congratulations to you and your success and vision that we talked about. And Roger, wow, it's been a lot of fun. And, but mm-hmm. I, you're going to be around. You've got a lot of things cooking, though, I know. Oh, yeah. And yeah. As David said, there will be a chapter two yeah. and maybe even a chapter three, David. Yeah. Who knows? And, and that big trust we mentioned, I, I'm going to work a little bit on that. Yeah, that's good stuff. Good stuff. And, yeah, and as these other uh, projects and chapters unfold, you'll have to come back and talk about them, right? That would be uh, great. Again, just so gratified that Jim Frazier – David Dieter, Bob Woosley, and Roger Lesby could join us here on Frazier and Dieter's Business Beat to uh, talk about uh, the firm and uh, just the the great legacy of this firm. It's been terrific. And I just want to remind everybody again, I'm uh, not hesitant to do this, is to remind you that Frazier and Dieter is one of the fastest growing accounting and advisory firms in the U.S. because they serve the emerging needs of their clients as they evolve. They serve clients from the global Fortune 1000 to growing private businesses by accounting for today while advising for the future. 
Frazier and Dieter invest in relationships to make a difference. For more information, go to FraserDieter.com. Roger, this is it for us, but we've got some partners in the Alpharetta office that are coming in to take your spot. Uh, they will. They'll be here, and mm-hmm. they'll, they'll continue the good work. And, yeah. and thank you so much for this for this congratulatory gift there, John. I it, appreciate it very much. appreciate you uh, very much. And uh, we look forward, folks, to having you continue with us next time on Frazier and Dieter's Business Beat.